Dear friends in Christ, at the conclusion of worship at a service several decades ago, the worshipers were exiting the sanctuary and greeting their pastor. And one of them, as he left, uh, shook the pastor's hand and thanked him for the sermon. And he said, Pastor, thank you for that message. I believe that you're smarter than Einstein. And the pastor, beaming with pride, said, well, thank you, brother. And during the next week, as the pastor was contemplating about those words that that man said, it really baffled him that someone would consider him smarter than Einstein. And he was going to ask that man the next week just what he meant. And so next Sunday came. He asked the man about that compliment they had given him, if he remembered it, and the man replied that he did. And then the pastor said to him, so why do you think that I am smarter than Einstein? And he said, well, pastor, they say that Einstein was so smart that only 10 people in the entire world could understand him. But pastor, no one can understand you. Well, it's my goal today that you will be able to understand better the words and the meaning behind Psalm 100. You and I know that the summertime, except for perhaps this year, is usually quite a busy, active travel time for people throughout the country. The airports are jammed and the roads are jammed also as people try to get into and out of the city. When a trip is over, we eventually see the skyline or perhaps the town or village or city limits sign of where we live. And we know that when we see an exit number, a landmark, perhaps a certain view, we know that we're almost there. That's a different experience from what most people would have had in the old world of Europe and Asia and the Middle East. When traveling to a major American city nowadays, about the only gates that we find are those that are at the terminals, at the airports, or perhaps even the toll booths as we drive. For centuries, however, old world cities were almost always surrounded by defensive walls and they were dotted by gates that limited access to the city. And they also gave the city its character. And while many of those walls are now gone and they're perhaps just monuments to the past, the great gates remain as a testament to the universal joy that there is of coming back to a safe and a familiar place. When you arrived at those old cities and you went through those gates, it was a moment for rejoicing. Consider some of these great gates and their meaning, too, for the people who use them. The Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, Germany, was built by Prussian monarchs in the 18th century, but became even more famous in the late 20th century as a symbol of peace when the dividing wall between East and West Germany came down. Many families who had been separated for decades were now able to have joyous reunions as a result. There are also plenty of other places in Europe where gates remain among the ruins of medieval defensive walls. The Sung Ye Man Gate, or South Gate, in Seoul, South Korea, was built in the 14th century as a greeting place for foreign emissaries and as a way for keeping the Korean tigers out of the city. The Bulan Darwaza, or the Gate of Magnificence, was built in 1601 in Fajpur Sikri, India, by the Emperor Akbar 
to commemorate a military victory. And the large ornate gate took 12 years to build, and an inscription on its face reads, Issa, which means Jesus, son of Mary, said, The world is a bridge. Pass over it, but build no houses upon it. He who hopes for a day may hope for eternity, but the world endures but an hour. Spend it in prayer, for the rest is unseen. Whether they were built for defensive or ceremonial purposes, these old gates represented the difference from being inside and outside. It was between security and vulnerability, between being at home and being away. The gates of Jerusalem had still a deeper meaning. For those pilgrims traveling to the city from faraway places, entering the gates meant entering into the holy city and the temple, the dwelling place of God. To enter the gates of Jerusalem was to enter into the very presence of God. And that was cause for great songs like Psalm 100. The description of the psalm in the English Standard Version or ESV Bible says this, a psalm of giving thanks. But in this case, coming home to give thanks was more than a family get-together. It was an act of praise. Psalm 100 is one of the most familiar psalms of praise in the Bible, and it's the source of some of our most beloved hymns of worship. The hymn tune, Old Hundredth, pays tribute to this psalm, and it is used in many congregations as the tune for the doxology, or as we know it better as, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The psalm itself It's an invitation to sing. I love the ESV translation of this psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. A joyful noise was the most appropriate response for a monarch in that ancient world. And in this case, in this psalm, it is all the earth that cries out in joy at the presence of the Creator. It's the kind of joyful noise that we make when we enter the front door of our house after we've had an extended absence. It's the exalted and excited cry of being home at last. And when entering the gates of the Lord, these excited cries turn into songs of worship. If we consider the place where we worship as being our church home, then these opening verses have much to say to us. Do we make a joyful noise when we come to worship? Or do we instead settle for sighs of boredom or perhaps a sharp word of complaint? Do we worship the Lord with gladness? Or do we do it out of obligation? Do we come into his presence with singing? Or are we mostly silent? If worship is designed to praise God in God's presence, then it is to be joyful. Our church does not look like the ancient gates or perhaps the front door of your home, but entering through them, that should be cause for praise and thanksgiving, especially as we have this opportunity now during the reopening phase of our state in Illinois. It should also happen each time that a worship service on YouTube or Facebook is broadcast for you when you're at your home or you're some other place away from Trinity. When we worship, It's a noise that should shake the earth. Verse 3 offers the reason for that worship. 
Know that the Lord, he is God. That's what the psalmist says. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Entering the gates of the Lord is just like entering the door of our childhood home. It's a place that we know that it reminds us of who we are and where we came from. Outside the gates, we try to make a name for ourselves. Perhaps we make up our identity by our vocation, our bank accounts, our friendships, and our accomplishments. But inside the walls of God's presence, we remember who we are and to whom we belong. We are the sheep of his pasture, and it's God's presence that provides us protection and care. He does that better than any defensive wall could ever do. Worship reminds us that our identity begins and it ends with God. And he's the one who has made us. He's the one who cares for us. In shaping our identity, worship also shapes our worldview. If God is the one who made us all, then we should find our identity with the people of all the earth. Worship can push us beyond the bounds of race and nationalities, of tribes and languages, and it can help us to recognize that we are not called to be at home with people that we identify best with, but to be with all of God's people. The gates of God's presence, they're wide open to a multitude of travelers coming in from all over the place who are made to focus on reflecting God's image within themselves instead of reflecting the differences in their lives. They're called to join in making a joyful noise, and it's an explosion of beautiful songs in different languages, but all giving our worship to our one Lord and Savior, to our one God. Worship is the universal language of God's world, and no matter where we call home, we come together in thanks and praise. In fact, that's the command of the next line, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. And why do we offer thanks and praise? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. It was his faithfulness that sent Jesus to the cross to accomplish what we couldn't do. And most importantly, to be that sacrifice for the sin of the world, of all time, of all people. Because of his faithfulness, we can be faithful to him. Raymond Edmond, he was a missionary, a college president, an educator, an author, and a friend to countless Christians and seekers alike. And Billy Graham, he once said that Edmund was the most unusual, unforgettable Christian he ever met. Edmund served as the chancellor at Wheaton College here in Illinois for many years. And he died in 1967 in the most appropriate setting imaginable, though it was quite traumatic to the people who were there. He passed on while preaching the chapel service at Wheaton College, and his topic was worship. That morning, Dr. Edmund shared with his listeners a personal life story of a meeting that he had had with the king of Ethiopia several years earlier. 
In order to have an audience with the king, Edmund had to observe a strict protocol. And if he didn't meet and follow through on each of the criterion, he wouldn't be judged worthy of coming into this king's presence. And then Dr. Edmund stated in worship, he says, but I speak primarily of another king. This chapel is the house of the king. Chapel is designed to be a meeting on your part with the king of kings and lord of lords himself. And to that end, chapel is designed to be the purpose of worship. Not a lecture, not an entertainment, but a time in meeting with the king. Coming in, sit down and listen and wait in silence before the Lord. In doing so, you will prepare your own hearts to hear the Lord, to meet with the king. Your heart will learn to cultivate what the scripture says. Be still and know that I am God. Over these years, I've learned the immense value of that deep inner silence as David the king sat in God's presence to hear from him. Those were Edmund's last words on earth as he turned and collapsed on stage and he was to enter the presence of the king of kings whom he had served so long and well. It was the last and greatest sermon illustration that Raymond Edmund had ever shared. His very life was spent in worship, and that involved missions and education and preaching. And in his death, he was instantly in the presence of God in heaven. We praise God because God is good. And we give thanks because God's love, God's grace, and God's faithfulness, they've extended through across the generations, even when God's people forget their identity. When the sheep of his pasture begin wandering, God is still the shepherd who keeps searching until all of them are back in the fold. The gate remains open because the gatekeeper wants his sheep to come in and to have an abundant life. Many of the great gates are now more ceremonial and historical than they are the main passage in and out of a city. The gates of God's presence, though, they are still open for business, inviting people, God's people, to come and worship. We're invited into God's presence, and that's a cause for praise and thanksgiving. So make a joyful noise, people, because he is our God and we are his people. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the beauty of the world, the creation, and for making us the crown of that creation. For giving us your son, Jesus, to be our savior. That's cause for worship, Lord because he's a risen Lord and Savior. He's living in us now each and every day. And we pray that we would reflect that love of Christ in our lives, in a a world that doesn't always seem to focus on love. But Lord, enable us to, to be those lights, those beams of your love's rays to others. And may peace be throughout the world. May joy and love fill the world because that's what you made us to be. Use us, Lord, for the sake of Jesus. We bless his name, and it's in his name we pray.
Amen.